0: good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for coming tonight. A lot of places you could be on Wednesday night, but you made it to the house of the Lord, made a good choice. It's always good fellowship with other believers, uh, learning about God's Word. And you know what's interesting is when you are here in the house of the Lord, you actually encourage others, what the Word tells us. That's why it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, even so much more as we see, say, see the day approaching, as we encourage one another. So it's important that our presence, our attendance uh, is important to encourage others. Helps us too. All right, we're uh, in First Thessalonians. How many of you have had anybody say something about you that was untrue? How many of you have had a lot of things said about you that are untrue? Yeah. Well, it happens. (laughs) It is a fact of life. People say things. Now, they may say things about you that are untrue knowing they're untrue. But they may say things about you and they've heard wrong. They're passing it on from somebody else, not realizing what they're passing on is untrue. Sometimes their motivation is to destroy you or your character. Their motivation may not be bad at all. But the truth of it is, it hurts no matter what their motivation is. When you find out they said things about you that were not true, it still hurts. And so... Uh, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it's a little interesting. Um, you know, I was studying a little bit more on just the book of Thessalonians, and a lot of the writers uh, and theologians believe that the book written, First and Second Thessalonians, uh, is actually the first book written in the New Testament. It was written before the Gospels. The Gospels were written uh, quite a bit uh, later. uh, And of all of the Gospels or the epistles that were written by Paul, many of them believe that it was written about 50 A.D. and it was this book, 1 Thessalonians. And what's interesting and, you know, I know that Matt did a great job of giving you the context of what happened And you read back in Acts where Paul had a terrible time in Thessalonica. I mean, they ran him out of town. Uh, He was, you know, and after he got run out of town, they were so intent on attacking him, they followed him to Berea and attacked him there. Uh, They were not content just to run him out of town. They wanted to destroy him. So they were really some mean people. And unfortunately, they were religious mean people. You know religious people can be some of the meanest people you have ever met. I want to tell you they they can get it if they if you're not saying what they say and you're not believing what they believe they can become some very mean people so Paul is dealing with this, and so now he's in corinth and he's he's writing this letter and uh, I find it interesting um uh, how he began this chapter 2. So let's read it. We're going to go cover 12 verses of it and uh, go back and try and diagnose it a little bit and try and see why he said it and what he was trying to say to us and what God can speak to us. Verse 1, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. Interesting way to start. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. We'll come back to why he said that in a minute. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for our own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how we hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses. And so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Okay, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of meat to this. There's a lot of questions that come to my mind. Uh, The very first one is pretty obvious from the first few verses. and that is, why did Paul feel like he needed to tell them he came in sincerity? He he obviously uh, felt like he needed to tell them his motives for coming. So let me ask you, why do you think that's true? why did he feel this need anybody that's exactly right he had already heard all the, the the words that had been spoken about him and he heard that they were that he had come for the wrong reason he had come to trick them he had come to flatter them he had come for their money all the things he mentioned are probably things he has heard Said about him that were false, and so, you know, he—it's—it's it's interesting. He talks about the idea of sincerity, that he came with a sincere heart. I mean, why else would he would he willingly subject himself to so much abuse? And just like he points out, he was abused and treated terribly at Philippi before he ever got to Thessalonica. He was treated terribly there went to Thessalonica, and got even treated worse, went to Berea, and still was run out of town again. So he was treated badly. Why in the world would you put up with that? Unless you had a pure motive, a pure heart, and you really just wanted to tell people the truth. So it kind of says something to us. It it, it reminds us that, um, you know, we're going to occasionally, we're going to have things spoken about us and we need to be willing to be bold. And I love the fact that he comes to him and he tells him, listen, I I was bold to tell you the things I told you in spite of the things that were spoken. So what does that say to us? That tells us, that, you know, sometimes we get just a little bit of persecution. Sometimes somebody starts saying, you know, oh, you're one of them Christians. And sometimes we will like a flower. You know, we just kind of, oh, uh. you know, we need to say, yes, that's exactly right. Yes, I am one of those Christians. And just because somebody wants to say something bad about you or make fun of you or say, are you one of those? Say, yes, that's right. I am one of those. You know, don't shirk back. Don't. Uh, wilt in the face of persecution i think he's trying to give us an example he's trying to say you know this is one of the reasons we've been called and that is even in spite of persecution we need to be willing to stand i i think about this verse in second timothy chapter 4 verse 5 it says this but you should keep a clear mind in every situation don't be afraid of suffering for the lord Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. You know, there is a calling that is upon every life here, every person here. I'm called, but I believe you are called. But your calling is different from my calling. Every person has a different calling, I believe. And one of the heart cries that we should have is, Lord, help me to fulfill the destiny of my life. Help me to fulfill the calling you have upon my life. Think back to the Lord's Prayer. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When he said, your will be done... I believe the implication, your will be done in my life as is your plan in heaven. You have a plan in heaven for my life. And, Lord, I want your kingdom to come and be accomplished in this earth, but I want you to fulfill my destiny, my plan that you have for me so that your kingdom will come. That's what he's telling us. That's what he's encouraging us to pray. He's encouraging us to pray, Lord, fulfill my destiny. Fulfill the calling on my life. And it could be to help people. It could be a blessing to people. It could be the ministry of health. You know, sometimes you just have the ministry of health. Sometimes it's praying for people. Sometimes it's encouraging people. Sometimes it's helping people who are down and out. You know, all callings are uniquely different. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. You are able to reach people that I can never reach. Or Brother Ben, or any other minister or a pastor. You have a calling and a unique ability and personality, and you are able to reach certain people that we cannot reach. And you reach people that other people in your family can't reach. So fulfill the destiny of my life, Lord. And I think, you know, if you look at Paul, he he had a, I guess you could call it a determination. He was going to fulfill the destiny of his life. He was going to fulfill God's call on his life, so much so that he was willing to preach in the face of great persecution. Uh, How many of you have ever... um, heard some preachers that you thought maybe their motivation was not right (laughs) if you watch tv preachers you probably heard some preachers that you know i how how do you say it i mean sometimes the motivation is all about money bottom line it's amazing how many times money is the big issue Uh, and then you know if you don't watch it they twist things to say the way they want it to so that you will give to them or so that you would be encouraged to give to them. So all I can do is encourage you to be wise, to be diligent, and you, sometimes you have to look beyond the motive and, and, and see what, what's really going on. You know, I know they may say one thing with their words, but sometimes God will give you wisdom what their real motive is. Because it's not always what they say. Sometimes you have to look at their heart and then look at their actions. Do they actually walk what they're saying? It's easy to say, I love Jesus, and I love you, and, and I love this, and I love that. But actions give the proof of whether you really do or not. So I want to encourage you. Fulfill the destiny of your life and if if you know, somebody says something terrible about you or makes a false accusation, kind of going back to what I said last Sunday about not being offended, you, you have to make a determination that you're not going to focus on that. Now, I will say Paul didn't let a lot of these accusations go. He didn't just dismiss them, say, well, it's... A... You know, he defended himself. He he And it's not in a sense of uh, a bad way. I think he defended himself to say, listen, I just want to tell you that my life proved that I didn't come the way they say I was coming. And, and he was saying, listen, you know good and well the way I acted towards you and with you proves that what they said is not right. So the second thing that I see here that I think is important, and that is and it 's a question that it 's an interesting question, but I think it 's valid. How can we serve others with sincerity, knowing that at times we 're going to be falsely accused so if you know up front and i 'm already telling you up front you if you minister to anybody, if you help anybody there 's a good chance you 're going to be falsely accused so if that 's true how do you how do you go ahead and do it what it, how what is i guess look what i 'm looking for is What is your motivation, your thinking that allows you to be able to minister to somebody even if they say bad things about you, even if they misunderstand you? How can you have the mind of Christ to be able to minister to people? Anybody? Yes. Penny, what do you think? Prompting of the Holy Spirit. I like that. Okay, a prompting of the Holy Spirit. How else can can you minister? Bend. And I think I wrote in the notes there, we have to learn to serve an audience of one. When it all comes down to it, who do we really have to please? Only God. Only God. Uh, W.A. Criswell uh, wrote a book one time on leadership. And in that, he said that he went to a huge train station in York City. Uh, and he said there was this one guy, and he was in charge of keeping and getting everything, uh, people at the right place and going to the right thing. He was kind of like a station master there in the depot, and, and people were coming up to him and asking him this and this and this. And and one man in particular, you, he, he thought, man, he's keeping his cool because a lot of guys are really letting him have it. And so we asked him, he said, how are you able to keep your composure with all these people saying all these things to you and, and, you know, telling you you're wrong, telling you this stuff, how do you do that? And he said, well, he said, look up on the second floor. And he pointed up to the second floor. He said, see that guy in that office up there? He said, that's the only guy I have to please. That's my boss. If I please him, I don't care about anybody else. I just please him. And in a real sense, we just please one. What did Jesus say? He said, I only do those things that please my father. And hey, he was accused all the time. Falsely accused of all sorts of situation. Associating with the wrong people. Uh, you know, being friendly with uh, common people, with sinners. He was accused, but he had a desire just to please his father. And I think what Ben said is, is a real key How can you minister to people knowing they're going to say bad things about you, they're going to accuse you, they're going to misunderstand you, they're going to get offended at you? Um, How can you do it? You have to determine. Let's look at uh, verse 4 and 5. I think that, isn't that the verse you're talking about? For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news, Our purpose is to please God, not people. I love it. He alone examines the motives of our heart. So people may say things about you, but they have misjudged your motives. But God knows our motives. He is the one who knows the intent of our heart, not people. And, you know, sometimes what comes out of our mouth is not always exactly right. Y'all ever had that problem? It just, you know, from the time it gets from your head around your heart and out your mouth, somehow it got crossways and it comes out wrong and people are offended. They don't like what you say. They cannot believe you said what you said. And sometimes you can't even believe you said what you said. But we do it anyway. And sometimes they will judge you based on exactly what came out but sometimes you know you need to just give grace and mercy to that person because sometimes what we say is not really our motive that's not really our heart uh one time i was remember when i was just starting out in ministry i was at a baptist church and i know you can believe this hard to believe but i had never prayed publicly and I, i was the I was the youth pastor at this Baptist church. It's in Winsboro, Texas, of all places. So, you know, the pastor made this assumption that I was really good at praying, and so he said, "Brother Renee, why don't you lead us in prayer, brother?" And I thought, "Oh my God!" I thought, "See, you know," and I, did, I kind of thought about it a minute, and it, it was it was the blessing for the meal, and so. uh I thought, and you just, you know how you just have a blank? And so I said, Lord, bless this liquid that we're about to drink. And bless this food, whatever it is, Lord. I don't know what it is, but bless it in Jesus' name, amen. And people just thought, oh, Lord, this has got some some real problems here. Bless the liquid. (laughs) I don't know why I said liquid. It just came out. But at the same time, that's the way we are sometimes. Things don't always come out real smooth. Now, I have learned how to pray publicly. Uh, That was over 45 years ago. But at the same time, be gracious to people. We serve an audience of one. Two verses I want us to look at. Galatians 1, verse 10 Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So in 110, he says, we need to learn not to please people. So I've always said, you need to find out if you're plugged into 110 or 220. I know, that's kind of lame, I know. So 2.20 of Galatians says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So one ten, live to please man. 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. And the life I live, I live by the grace of God because he lives in me. The light that He lives inside of me. Again, coming back to the same thing, you have to learn to serve an audience of one, and I know sometimes that is um, not real easy to do, but it but it happens. Um, how did you respond when someone false, has falsely accused you? How do you handle it? Besides, whack them upside the head. How do you handle it? Anger? Okay, that's an honest answer. What's that? Turn the other cheek? Now, is that what we should do or is that what you always do? Okay. How have you Responded. What does our old nature want to do? We want to attack them the way we've been attacked. So if they said something about us, we want to say something bad about them. You know, here's the interesting thing. When two people are mad at each other, or they're upset at each other, they speak bad about you. While they're saying something, we're thinking what we can say bad about them. So if we're thinking about what we can say bad about them, we're not actually listening to what they're saying. It goes back to what I said Sunday. Sometimes we hear, but we don't listen. And in a conversation, it's real common that people are talking and we're not listening. All we're doing is just thinking about how we're going to respond so we can defend ourselves. And if you really want to get do well in a, in a relationship, you lay down the need to defend yourself. And you listen to what they're actually saying and what they might be saying underneath what they're saying, because especially if you're talking to your wife, sometimes she doesn't Always, I'm looking to make sure my wife's not there. Sometimes she doesn't always exactly say what she intends to say or what she wants to say. She wants me to figure out what she's saying without actually having to say it. So that way she will be so excited that I understood her heart and her emotion, but she didn't say it. Does that make sense to you? The men are going, I have no clue what you're talking about. The women going. I know exactly what he means. I do that all the time. It's just, you know, why did God make us different like this? It's not a mistake. (laughs) It really isn't. He planned it this way. So, men, we would learn to listen so that we would learn to humble ourselves and learn to depend upon his strength and his ability <laughs> i thought about a joke but i'm i'm going to i'm going to pass on that joke because as soon as i tell that joke somebody's going to tell my wife <laughs> and i'm going to get in trouble so i'm not going to i'm not going to say it My wife's not feeling well. That's why she's not here. But uh, anyway, okay, what was what, what I thinking about here? Um, okay, how did you respond when they said things about you that were terrible? Now, I, know, I know we should turn the other cheek. How have we responded, though? And, and the reason I'm asking you that is just for you to check your own heart. Test your heart. Lord, how have I responded? And the good news is, you know, we can learn from when we respond badly. If we respond badly, we should be smart enough to learn from our mistakes and respond better the next time we go around. So I encourage you, learning to listen to what they're really saying and what they might be saying giving an understanding, and sometimes I think we just need to pray, Lord, give me an understanding ear and an understanding heart to hear what they're really saying and what their heart is. Um, Because, again, people don't always say what they intend. They don't always express their heart. Third question I have for you, how can you develop a sincere love for those who are called to minister to? Look at verse 7 and 8 of First Thessalonians 2. We read this, but look at verse 7 and 8. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. You know, amazingly, Paul was there actually at a relatively short period of time, and yet he says, I loved you. And I I relate to that because I really love this church. You know, when we uh, get ready to come on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, you know, both my wife and I pray, Lord, help us to express to the people that we love them because it's really true. We really do love you. And that is, and to me, that is something God has to put in your heart. You really—it's not something you can work up or make it happen. Um, and so, a- answering the question, how how can you develop that kind of love for people? Anybody? How do you how do you learn to love people? Penny again. Okay, so believe God to pour that love into you, all right? I agree with that. Matt, how do you love people? Okay. Yeah. Okay, Ben. Sharing life with people. Okay. Okay. So just spending time with people. Real simple. You know, it's amazing if you'll just spend time with people. It's amazing how you grow to love them. Uh, And maybe because you see them as they really are. You don't just see the Sunday morning person, but you see them. As they really are, and you grow to love that person. I think, and you know, that's one reason I'll give a plug for life groups. That's so important. Have small groups, be able to minister to people, love people, fellowship with people, get to know people. In small group settings, it so helps you to learn to love people. You know, you can love people on Sunday morning, but it's not the same. Uh, The corporate setting is not the same as in a home setting or uh, just you know, being able to spend time with one another, and I think that is one of the keys uh learning to just spend time with one another. How else can you learn to love people? yeah, I agree. Amen. How else? How can we learn to love people? And it, and and, you know, it may they not be may may not be lovely, but they still need love. Yes, brother. By observation, I. Okay. Amen. Good. I like that. Ed. Mm. So that would mean you're going to have to not judge them based upon the outside. Maybe the way they look, the way they act, the way they dress. But again, looking at their heart, that's the way God sees them. He does. I don't think God sees the outside. I think he only sees right to the heart. So I agree with that. See, learn to see people as God sees them. You know, the great verse... uh, I want to read you this verse. It's in uh, Proverbs. Proverbs eleven twenty five. I love this. It says, "The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed." Don't you love that? Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And so there's an amazing thing that happens as you learn to love people and pour your life into them. Take risk to love them. You yourself will be refreshed. And, and I, I say take that risk because there is always this huge risk of loving people because they may not, probably will not love you back the way you're loving them. And so that's a risk. That means that you're going to be hurt. You're going to be, it's going to, you know, you're not going to like. Uh, we all love to get the approval from, one, from somebody else, but we may not get it. Did you know that's why social media has, social media has taken off the way it has? I don't think Mark Zuckerberg figured this out. I think he just took a gamble. But he tapped into one of the greatest needs that we have, right or wrong, the need for approval. The need for approval. And he had no idea how great a condition our nation, the world, was in needing and wanting approval. And he provided a format, and oh my goodness, some people live their whole lives based on how many likes they can get, how many approvals they can get. Why else do people go around taking pictures of themselves all the time? I mean, how crazy is that? I see people all the time, wherever I go, restaurants, anything, everything, And I walk by and I say, what are you doing? Why do you feel a need to give a picture of yourself to everybody? That's what it is. We have this innate need that was, was born in us to want approval. And so I, I'm not saying that's necessarily terrible. Obviously, God put that in there, but it can become almost like a disease. It can become obsessive. And so, and I'm not against taking pictures of yourself. You can take them all if you want, but I'm saying there's a danger. There's a real danger that you begin to live your life to please others. And you begin to live your life for approval. And likes. And you know, your life is a whole lot less hassle without all of that. You know, I know this may be a shock, but there are some people who do not have Facebook. See, there you go. There we go. We got people all over that are living lives without it. There we go. We got normal human beings everywhere here. Hallelujah. And that's not to say Facebook is some evil, terrible thing. Not at all. But I'm telling you, you can dig a deep hole for yourself if you start living your life for others' approval. It's a danger. You start changing everything you do just to please others. What the word is telling us is that we need to learn to live our life to be a blessing to others. So it's it should be an outward flow of our life. Refresh others, help others, be a blessing to others. And then as we help others, what does it say? We ourselves will be refreshed. So our focus and that's why I think it's, it's such a it's twisted Everybody's living life to get something, approval or everything, but our life should be just the opposite. We should be living our life to be a blessing, to help, to be an encouragement to other people. And then in doing that, we ourselves will be refreshed. We will be encouraged. We will, that sense of need of approval will be met because I believe God put that, desire for approval in us but he wants us to seek his approval over man's approval and so as we learn to bless others that need will be met we will be refreshed and it's such an important issue uh, because our society is literally uh, no other way to say it is becoming obsessed with it the fourth thing I want us to see here, and that is, and I think we see this in the last few verses, our personal testimony becomes the proof of the message we bring. Look at verse 9 through 12. It says, Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how we hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living, so we could not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and then urged you to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom. And that key is, the key is in verse 12, we encourage you, we urge you to live all your life in a way that would he would consider worthy. In other words, it's... It's our life, the way we live our life, that helps people to receive our message. We have a message. I mean, we have a gospel. We have a good news to tell the world. Jesus can set us free. Jesus saves. Jesus encourages us. Jesus sets us free from our bondage. Jesus can help us through every loss, through every heartache. He is the only. Only one who can meet our every need, so we have a great message, but our personal testimony is what opens the door for our message, and if our test and if our life is not matching our if if our lives are messed up, then they don't want to hear our our, our words. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear anything we have to say because they say, listen, your whole life is messed up. You're a mess. So don't tell me about this Jesus. And so no matter how good a message we have about Jesus, if our lives are messed up, it rings empty. You know, I, I remember this, and this was before uh, Vicky and I married. I, I, you know, I wanted to be married. I wanted to, to have a, a soulmate. I wanted uh, to have someone to share my life with, and I told the Lord that, um, and I felt like the Lord said, uh, "Get your house, get your house in order." And my first thought was, "Well, are you talking about like a real house, house?" And I realized the Lord wasn't saying a physical house. He was saying, get yourself ready. Get my own heart ready. And I think that that's a word, especially if you're a single person today. God is more interested in you getting your heart ready than in finding a mate. Because the truth of it is, if your your heart is ready, then... He can bring that person into your life and then you can love them and they can love you in a right way. And so the general truth that I think applies to everyone and that is God is more interested in who you are than what you can do. Did you hear what I just said? He's more interested in who you are as a person than what you can do. And this this applies to ministry. And we talked about, hey, we talked about fulfill the ministry of your life, fulfill the calling of your life. That's important. That's good. But it's who you are that allows you to do your ministry, to fulfill the ministry of your life. And so we have to make sure that our heart is right, that we're right, And that's why he said, you know, and this is a word to all the the ministers. He, He said, you know, if you don't have your house in order, you have no business taking care of the house of God. You have no business doing ministry if your own marriage is a mess or your own family is a mess. First, you put him first. Take care of your home and your family Ministry will fall into place. But you have to get everything in proper order. And it comes back to what can you do to guard your personal testimony? So if your testimony is important, which I'm assuming you know and understand that it is, what can you do to guard your testimony? Anybody? How can you? It's important who you are as a person is so important so how can you guard your testimony Penny Trust in the Lord okay some I, yes Charlotte by example living it by example how can you guard that testimony Gloria Okay OK, and, you know, there's a book, there's a verse in Romans that says, let not your good be spoken of as evil. And that's kind of what you're saying there. it, it you might have a pure motive and you might have a good heart, but if it's shady and it looks bad. And other people could see it. Shady then he's saying it'd be better, don't even do it. Just stay away from it. You know, and I, of course I encourage all of the men, uh, and this applies to women too, but don't counsel somebody of the opposite sex by yourself. And you say, well, hold it. You know, Are you saying I'm going to do something? No, I'm not going to say you're going to do anything. But you don't want the enemy to make an accusation against you. This is where you live your life above reproach, and don't do anything that where the enemy might could make that accusation. So you guard your testimony. How? How else? Yes. By guarding your heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it it says it in the word in Proverbs. It says, guard your heart with all diligence. For from with your heart flow the issues of life. Everything starts here or in your up here thinking your heart. And so be careful of your heart, guard your heart, and and it says, guard your heart with all diligence, man. You got to work at this. And and here's the difficult thing: you have to um, you have to be careful not to deceive yourself. Did you know you can deceive yourself? Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful, above all else, deceiving even yourself so that tells me if you don't watch it your heart can operate so craftily and so slick clever and deceitful that if possible it will it will try to get you to deceive yourself and how does that translate out how does that that you will talk and convince yourself of one thing when in reality your heart is going in another direction that there's not, you know, we're we're really th- having one motive, but we're saying it's another motive, and we'll actually begin to deceive ourselves, and it's, that's a pretty serious thing, because once you have deceived yourself, man, you don't want to listen to anybody, and when they try and talk to you, you don't want to listen because you believe just the opposite, and this is where it's it's good. If you will just open your heart, if somebody wants to speak into your life and you get good counsel, don't brush off what they're saying because you may have developed a blind eye, a blind spot, I call it, spiritual blind spot where we're not seeing what's going on in our heart. And God will show other people, give them wisdom. But that's where we have to have an open heart to say, yes, Lord, I hear I, 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 I get it, Lord, help me. How many of you have ever had an argument with your husband or your wife? Let me see your hand. Who was right uh, when, when y'all had an argument? <laughs> all the hands up, I, I'm wondering who was wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one man is going like this, pointing to his wife. So how many of you have ever been wrong in your argument? Not the same amount, but a few. Truth of it is, you know, a lot of times we're both wrong. We're both a little right and we're both a little wrong. That's the truth. And so that's where we come to have a tender heart and say, Lord, open my heart. Give me a heart to see this in the right way. Again, going back to what what we're saying here, and that is, Guard your testimony. Who you are as a Christian is a million times more important than your, quote, ministry. I tell the pastoral staff here, if you're having problems at home, situation with your family home, step aside for a time. Take a couple of days, weeks, or whatever you got to do. Take care of your family because family comes first. And I want them, they believe that because it is true. Because if their family isn't right, they're no good for the ministry. You've got to put family first before ministry. So a couple of things I've written them here. Remember to seek God daily. I think that's important, getting up every day, seeking God. Read and depend upon God's word. Uh, don't just read it, but depend upon it. And then, one thing that helps me has helped me over the long term, and that is consider the long lasting consequences of our actions. Think carefully about your actions. Where is this going to lead? You know, if you've ever played chess, playing chess, the secret to it is thinking ahead of what. The other person is their moves are going to be and what the consequences of those moves and then what they might do and then what you might do and what they might do. And you have to play out this scenario as many steps as you can ahead. Well, in in looking at your spiritual life, you need to do the same thing. If I say it this way. There's a good chance they're not going to receive that really well. So, Lord, help me to say it in a better way in a different way, so that it can be received better. So always thinking of the way we say it, what we do, the consequences, the actions, the words. Think through it carefully so that we can come off right. So, I would like for us to pray tonight that God would help us to guard our testimony. Do that with me. Whatever your testimony is, Let's pray and ask God that your testimony would be an honor to the Lord and that he would help you guard that testimony. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, guard my testimony. Help me to live my life in a way of sincerity and honesty and truthfulness. Help me, Lord. To be a credit to you, Lord, and to your kingdom. Help me, Lord. I need your help. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Amen. Good stuff in First, first Thessalonians, helping us step on our toes. I love you. So we're going to be uh, finishing up Second th- First Thessalonians chapter two next week.